Today I'm chatting with Soon Wa Wong, the current chairperson of PARTA, the Pacific Asia Travel Association. When something like COVID-19 happens, members look to their trade associations for wisdom, guidance and representation on some of the biggest issues they face in recovering their businesses. It's fascinating to see how far Parta have moved in the last nine months, their ambitions for the future, and most importantly, how they have supported their members and represented them in discussions with various governments and authorities. Soonwa provides all of those valuable insights and more. So enjoy the chat and look forward to speaking to you soon. Delighted to be joined by Soon Hua, uh, the chair at part of the Pacific Asia Travel Association, who is based in Singapore. Soon Hua, good evening in uh, Singapore. How are you? Very well. Good morning, John. It's uh, good to hear from you. Uh, firstly, congratulations on the appointment, because that has only happened in the last couple of months, I believe. Yes, uh, it was somewhat overdue because of the COVID situation. And overdue because it was delayed yeah, by... Yes, because we, we had, uh, like a lot of other associations, we had to move our meetings around. So the AGM was actually moved uh, to a much later date, yeah. So does that, does that mean you get just a six-month tenure or you get an extended tenure because of that? Well, I, I was volunteered for another... Six months, so meaning that is 18 months now. So that's a bonus. Yeah. Uh, right. So um, tell me, how did, you, how did you become involved in travel? Because it is the most dynamic activity in, in Asia, isn't it? Or has been for many years. You know, this was like 40 years ago, you know, exactly 40 years ago in, in 1980, when I came out fresh from university. At that time, you know, most people would uh, aim to work in a bank. You know, I, I did a business administration. So many of my classmates uh, were heading straight to a financial institution. You know, it's so much more prestigious to work in a bank. Uh, you get good pay, good privileges. But somehow, somehow I got into the travel and tourism business. Starting off uh, really with uh, car rental. Yeah, I started off with uh, Avis rent a car. Right. So did and, you uh, yeah. did you did you travel globally or just within the region? With no, at that time uh, it was uh, more for Avis in Singapore. So for five years uh, I was with the company, and uh, after that I switched over to a travel agent, where we had the inbound, outbound corporate travel uh, representation business. So that brought me into the travel agency business. So that was for two years. And then I joined the airline. So that was maybe at that time was uh, the entry into the travel and tourism proper. Yeah. 
So I started uh, working in the airline as the regional manager for Southeast Asia for Air New Zealand, based in Singapore, looking after the uh, Southeast Asia region. Yeah. Wow. So that that must have been fascinating because at that time, I mean, you know, the market was growing rapidly. Air New Zealand, quite a big player in Singapore. Lots of traffic. That must have been that must have been a, a fascinating role and. Um, must have enjoyed it for quite some time. Yeah, that was five, five and a half years, uh, really nice, uh, because at that time, Air New Zealand only had flights uh, from New Zealand to Singapore. And when I came on board, uh, we put on flights to Bali, to Malaysia, to Bangkok. So it was during uh, a period of expansion. So that was really nice to have the first-hand experience of opening up uh, new countries, new cities. So five and a half years, uh, truly enjoyed that, yeah. And lots of responsibility. So where, where did you move on to from there? That uh, must have been hard yeah, to then, leave uh, there in New Zealand. Then in 1993, uh, Hertz, uh, you know, was looking for someone who could head up, who could start up the, the Asia office to look after the business in the region in Singapore. So, uh, you know, I, I got uh, invited to look at this position and then lo and behold, you know, I, I got a job and it was 22 years with Hertz, yeah. 22 long and rewarding years. Yeah. Wow. So I, I was going to ask you, you know, which which was the best and most memorable part of your career, but 22 years with one company probably says Hertz were, were where you enjoyed your time the most. I suppose uh, Hertz because of the, the region, right? Because it was uh, the Asia region. So the region uh, stretches from as far west as uh, Pakistan, India, Sri Lanka, all the way up to, to Japan. And up north, we got China. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really a, a very big geography. And uh, Asia is so diverse. There's so many interesting things happening every single year. So... It didn't seem that long, 22, because every year there's always something new, new challenges, new opportunities. So you don't really feel that uh, you're doing the same thing all the time. You're doing different things, different challenges. So that's what kept me going for so many years. Yeah. Wow. So how, how did you first become um, associated or aware of Parter? Was that through Hertz or had you uh, been involved before? In, in fact, uh, you know, even in early days, it was in the in the mid eighties. I already had uh, some contact with uh, Arthur, but at that time was merely a participant in some of the events. But it was only uh, in Hertz that I got more active. Uh, in fact, I I joined the Arthur Singapore chapter because we also have a local chapter in Singapore. Mm-hmm. And uh, after a couple of years, uh, I was then. Uh, elected to be the chairman of the Pata Singapore chapter. So that was really the, the formal introduction into the Pata organization. Right. Perhaps. And, and also as a company, uh, because Pata is a corporate membership, so it's not an individual membership. So Hertz uh, being in the tra- travel and tourism business, uh, you know, we do attend Pata events. So I get to know the organization a lot better by interacting with people in, in head office. Yeah, in Pata headquarters. Yeah. Right. And just for those people who really have, you know, just a superficial knowledge of Pata, 
what are what are the aims and the objectives of the organization you know bata is a a trade association it caters to the travel and tourism yeah. business and it's a global association we are members are all around the world and we promote a sustainable and responsible tourism to and from the asia pacific region so our membership is uh, very diverse. Uh, in fact, we are rather unique in that uh, we have both the public and the private sector membership. So we have members such as the airlines, the cruise lines, travel agents, the hotels, uh, media, new, even new tech, uh, new travel tech. We have got uh, learning institutions. So it is very, very broad. In fact, anything and everything in the travel and tourism business, plus also government agencies such as national tourism organizations, tourism boards. So you see that there is a, a very close collaboration between private and public sector. So that's the unique part of Pata. Uh, so very, very diverse in terms of geography, as well as uh, the type of membership cutting across all travel verticals yeah. Wow, so um, how many, um, I mean, it sounds an amazingly large organization, but I think in reality, it's it's very efficient and very effective because I think, how, how many employees do you have in 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 Parta? Well, we have a, a team of people based in headquarters in Bangkok, some uh, two dozen people uh, running the day-to-day -day activities of the association. And um, you mentioned um, learning. One of the one of the things I've noticed in many of um, the Parter events I've either been to or have in fact seen um, on the web is a heavy focus on skills transfer and and learning and and personal development. Is is that is that central to everything that Parter is doing? Well, first and foremost, I think you know we have to understand that. Travel and tourism is a huge ecosystem. Sometimes uh, we, we tend to forget that. And uh, if you look at what is happening today in this crisis, is a classic example. You know, when, when planes are, are grounded, when people stop traveling, you can imagine the impact on the global economy. So it is a very, very big uh, industry. So if you look at uh, what is needed to, to make a trip, there are many, many players uh, involved. You know, you need the airlines, you need the accommodation, you need transportation, even the retail people are part of this business. And if you look at F&B, so it is a very, very long travel chain. So learning is something that is uh, ongoing all the time because there are so many new things uh, that needs to be updated. And more so now, especially after this crisis, right? Can you, can you imagine what would have happened to, to the industry through this uh, pandemic? So immediately after recovery, I think every one of us have to relearn and reimagine. So even more training and learning as we go forward. Yeah. Do you know, I, I thought we were doing really well. We had nearly gone 10 minutes without mentioning the C word uh, of COVID-19. Um, but... How, how has it impacted um, part of from your perspective? I mean, clearly you had a six-month delay in, in your appointment. But um, 
the members must have um, found this a really, really challenging moment in time. Well, prior to taking on the chair position, I was vice chair, so very much uh, involved in in the strategic uh, directions of the association for the past a couple of years. Yeah, and, and running an association is no different from running a business. You know, we have got members, so members, uh, if they are impacted, uh, invariably, invariably they look at uh, the cost, uh, cost of membership, uh, you know, mm. should they continue to be a member, you know, how can they get maximum value from membership. And uh, as an association, a lot of our activities are based on events. So we have got big events which we had to defer or cancel. So that has got a, a lot of impact, not only on, on the financial position of PATA as an association, but also for our members. And so as you can see, this, uh, this, this industry is uh, most severely impacted by, by the crisis, yeah. And when you cancelled those events, did you have you transformed into a digital event business? We've seen many companies who, who ran events try to, to move into that space. Have you been holding webinars and, and learning sessions? Yeah, it's unbelievable how, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. When, when COVID hit, uh, we had to figure out how to go about doing our day-to-day -day business. Now, the, the big thing about this crisis is that it is unprecedented. So there isn't a playbook. So when there isn't a playbook, you have more questions than answers. The, the truth is that nobody really knows the answers. But we, we need to figure out very quickly. So a lot of the early days uh, would be just doing it, get on with it, and you learn, learn as you go. And so it's quite amazing how, you know, in a short span of like uh, eight, nine months, we had, the uh, Pata had uh, over a hundred events and activities. Most of them, almost entirely, all of them are online, digital, virtual, and, and some are on hybrid. And it is almost unthinkable, yeah. It, it's strange, it, you're absolutely right. I mean, that, you know, necessity is the mother of all invention or indeed all evil. Um, and makes us makes us work longer and longer hours. Um, but how's how's your members responding? I mean, there must be some that have found this really challenging in terms of future uh, resizing, reshaping for for a new um, recovery program. How um, how have your members adapted? Have have they all been learning through this crisis? Our members are affected like, like everyone else, yeah. You know, sometimes uh, they refer it, they refer to this as, uh, you know, something as if we are all in the same boat. They, they keep saying that we are all caught in the same boat. But I don't think so, you know, because uh, some members uh, could be big ocean liners, others uh, could be just a small fishing boat. Mm -hmm. So we are not in the same boat. But we are caught in the same storm, right? So yeah. that is what is, uh, you know, affecting the whole industry. So every member has to find a way of dealing with the crisis. Yeah, that there's no one one simple way. That there isn't a a prescriptive way to to go through this uh, crisis. 
So you have to look at your own uh, resources and and decide how you can stay afloat. But uh, unfortunately, in in something so big, there are casualties and there will be more casualties uh, if the borders uh, stay closed here. And touching on the borders, I mean, you Parta has this very, as you mentioned, this this pivotal position between private and public sectors. And I think many many people in the private sector have become quite frustrated at the public sector uh, response and specifically control authorities and how they've handled the event. From from your perspective, though, um, when we were chatting earlier, you said you mentioned how challenging it is for, for governments to be able to handle this event. Yeah, you know, governments uh, have a job of protecting the nation and in, in that case, uh, protecting the people, the citizens, the residents. So it's no easy task to, to be able to do that uh, and at the same time, please, uh, all industries. Obviously, we are in the travel and tourism industry. You know, we like them to look after our interests first. But I don't think we are the only people affected uh, by the crisis. In fact, every business, uh, every sector would be equally affected. Although I think the travel and tourism is probably more more visible, right? Because every, every day people are complaining about not being able to travel. Mm-hmm. So perhaps uh, that, that brings us into the limelight. Now, most countries in Asia, as far as I know, you know, the people really leading leading the charge uh, would be the the health uh, ministries or the health authorities rather than trade or, or tourism people. So if that is the case, then I think it is quite quite obvious that uh, public health has to be the most important thing in their minds. And I, I think rightly so, you know, because it's so important that we protect the, the health and safety of our people first. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, in you're you're a resident in Singapore, so you've you've experienced travel bubbles and circuit breakers and and other such things. And obviously, the Hong Kong Singapore travel corridor nearly arrived, but then at twenty four hours was cancelled. Um, and now there's talk of of a new corridor with Taiwan from Singapore, I believe. Is is that a solution, do you think, these corridors, or, or is that just um, a short-termism um, piece of uh, PR? What's your thoughts on that? You know, it, uh, for the Hong Kong-Singapore bubble, I, I recall uh, just uh, some weeks ago, we were in a webinar. At, you know, STB was in the webinar. It was a BBC Pata initiative. And we were happily chatting about the bubble that is going to take place a few days later. And, and lo and behold, you know, it had to be deferred. But this is exactly what we are dealing with right now because, you know, the situation is so fluid. Every single morning when you wake up, there is something new. Mm-hmm. But the, to, to have the courage to do something, I think... Uh, is, is really what is needed right now. You know, it's so easy to just sit back and then say that, well, it is too difficult, uh, let's wait and see. But uh, I don't think in inaction uh, is, is good. 
it's, it's, I'm sure when I'm sure when the Singapore government and the Hong Kong government came when they came together to do this bubble, they they are they are fully aware or they were fully aware that uh, there would be risks. It's a it's right? a very it's a very difficult thing, isn't it? Because you are damned if you do and you are damned if you do not. Um, and as you say, you know we've got to break through this. And if this is if this is a way of of recreating any travel then you know that has to be a positive but it does come with all of those preconditions as you say um from your from i mean from your perspective i mean it's tourism has been such a very very important part um of the asian emergent market story from so many perspectives um how do you what is your sentiment about the future i mean is is this going to take many years to recover or do you think we are just building up um, demand for travel that will, will happen as quickly as possible? I think the general consensus, uh, if you have been reading reports and, and all that, uh, the airlines particularly, you know, they are forecasting that it will take at least, uh, you know, three to four years before you, you see demand climbing back to pre-crisis level. And I think that is pretty much uh, a given. Yeah, you know, it's not going to come back immediately back to previous high. It's going to build up slowly. Now, if you look at uh, the economy, I think this is something that sometimes uh, we may forget uh, when we are talking about travel itself. We are all going through some form of recession in almost every single country. Mm-hmm. So in a normal recession, demand for goods and services will fall. So likewise, uh, you know, I think travel being a discretionary thing uh, will see the, the, the impact. People may want to travel, but they may not afford to, to travel. We don't know whether airfares will be higher or lower. You know, in some instances, uh, airfares uh, have gone up because of limited capacity. So I think travel and tourism will go through a big uh, change. We, we just have to make sure that uh, the organization has to be right size to deal with the new, uh, the new normal, like they say. Yeah. But it's already a new reality after so many months. And in that, in that sort of re, re-gauging, re-equipping of parter, um, and the last nine months, what are what are the key things that you've learned or you've sensed um, during the the pandemic period? I think the pandemic uh, in the last nine months has driven uh, digitalization to a new high. In the past, uh, it would have taken a couple of years or four or five years before we get to this level of uh, digital adoption, but uh, driven by necessity, you know, almost everything is done uh, virtually or online. So this would mean that uh, if you want to do business uh, going forward, you you need to be connected. You you need to be fully equipped with this uh, new way of doing business. And do you think think that is um, a long-term change or is it because of the short-term necessity? Um, you know, many many companies are telling us that they are going to reduce their travel budgets. They don't need to travel so much. 
And yet the CEO of Delta Airlines, who clearly, uh, Ed Bastian, who clearly has a very um, interested position in this, says the first time a salesperson loses a contract because he wasn't in the room, um, he'll be jumping on a plane again. What's, what's your thoughts? I think nothing beats a face-to-face -face meeting. After all, this is a, a people's business, right? Mm -hmm. So high-tech, high, high tech, that is good, but that we also need the high touch. But because we have been doing this for so many months, you know, inevitably, some of us uh, would uh, realize by now that uh, it's actually quite efficient to do a lot of things, uh, you know, whether through Zoom calls or through any of the other technological platforms. So even if uh, it's got not going to be 100% virtual, I would say some percentage uh, would go online. There is still that need for face-to-face -face meetings. So people will still travel. I think immediately after this, when it is safe to travel, people will travel at least uh, to, to reconnect. And going forward, then you calibrate your, your travel. But uh, if you do four trips a year to a, a country, for example, for your sales meetings or sales calls. Now, if you have uh, two meetings a year, it would mean that uh, you're cutting it down by 50%. And that's a lot, right? So if one meeting uh, would be 25% down, so this is something that uh, we must be very aware that there will be less meetings yet. Not that it, you know people don't need to meet, but there will be less yet. And, and for Parter, of course, I mean, you know, being a membership organisation, the interaction with the members and the personal contact with the members is a, is a large part of um, what the organisation offers. You know, the interesting thing is that uh, looking back on this nine months or so, I think the interaction with members have actually gone up. Because it's become easier with digital technology and people yeah, just accept absolutely. it. Absolutely, yeah. You know, whether it's uh, in a meeting or events, I, I think the number of people participating is a lot higher than, than in the past. You know, you, you don't get to see yourself uh, physically, but, uh, you know, on, on calls and all that, you get to see people, you talk to people. And I feel that uh, it has driven... Uh, people to be more interactive. Yeah, you, you know, I'm sure you have attended more meetings than you had ever had before. I'm sure I have. It's um, it, it's been a a transformational nine months uh, for everyone. Um, talking of transformation, I mean, you um, you've been involved with Parter for many years, and changing the subject slightly. Um, what are what are what are your aspirations for Parter in the coming years? I mean, you, clearly you're now the chair. You were the vice chair. Um, you've you've seen how the organisation is shaping and its strategy. What what are what are your aspirations? You know, firstly, the wish for for the travel and tourism industry is that uh, you know we hope the vaccine uh, would be effective. It will be rolled out quickly because uh, you know vaccine. Uh, it's important, but, you know, vaccination is the one that saves lives. So until you are properly vaccinated, you know, it's, it's not helping. So this is going to take, take a certain uh, period of time for the rollout to be complete. But uh, we are a lot better now than uh, some months ago. So there's a lot of uh, positives uh, going forward. 
So for Bata Accent Association, uh, we had we had already transformed over these nine months, whether we, we liked it or not. The way we are doing our day-to-day -day business, the type of events, the interaction with our members, and, and more importantly, we work a lot, a lot with uh, our partner associations, whether it's UNWTO, WDTC, you know, a lot of business partners uh, like OAG. I've never seen collaboration at this level, yeah, in, in my 40 years. It is just simply amazing. You know, everyone is putting all the efforts uh, together, you know, to, to fight this, uh, the crisis. So this, this augurs well for the future. And um, is, is the, I mean, you know, is your objective more members? Is it, you know, an even higher level of membership support and service? Is it about um, education, uh, sustainable tourism? What are, you know, what are the things, if you, if you're, if your position as chair was to be remembered for one thing, what would you want it to be remembered for? Well, firstly, we are in a very unique situation right now for the association. We have just uh, transformed ourselves, particularly in the area of organization redesign and governance structure. Papa is 70 years old next year. So this is really a very important uh, milestone for us. And we are transforming the association in such a way that uh, we want to make sure that our members get the value that they pay for. So we have uh, changed a lot of uh, governance structure. For example, uh, our board members uh, will all be elected. In the past, uh, it was a nomination process. But now, every single board member will be elected. And I, likewise for the executive board. Same thing for the officers like the vice chair and, and going forward the chair as well. So we want to make sure that uh, we give our members all the opportunities to have their voices heard. Yeah. I, I was um, on a webinar last week i think and a question came in from a um a listener uh that i think is um very um appropriate for someone in your position to answer and and basically they were saying um they've done a degree in tourism and uh is is there a is there a career for them in tourism in the coming years after covid19 um what, how would you answer that question? I think travel and tourism was the, the largest uh, industry in, in the world before the, in terms of employment, before the crisis. And I think it will continue to be the most important, if not one of the most important uh, industries in the world. So in terms of employment, there are always opportunities there except that perhaps uh, the, the skill set needed may differ from the past. Because uh, if you look at what is happening to the technology part of the business, so you, you need people who know how to deal with this new technology. So I would say that, uh, you know, travel and tourism as an industry, as a business uh, will continue to be very, very important. It will, you know, when people 
uh, when business comes back, uh, people have time and money, they have to travel and they want to travel. Well, all of us are, are suffering from cabin fever. We want, we want to get on the road. So as an industry, no doubt about it, it is not a sunset business. So the jobs will be there. It's a question of how you very quickly make sure that uh, you can recalibrate your own uh, skill sets to meet the demands of the new business. And and flexibility is, is absolutely required, I think, for everyone now. Yes, I, I think flexibility. The, the one who can adapt fastest and best to the changing environment will be the one to survive and thrive. Yeah. I am. I have a, a bit more of a personal question, which I'm fascinated by. So you have, you know, you are an industry uh, in the nicest possible term uh, veteran with many years experience. Um, and um, it always fascinates me when I speak to people such as yourself as where is the one place in the world you would go back to or that you still have not been that you need you need to get? To go back to or to a new place? Either, either or. Where, where is that one place you need on your bucket list to either return or uh, visit for the first time? For the first time, uh, I, I would like to uh, visit a place in China called Xinjiang. Yeah. And it's what... just a, a very fascinating place. Uh, you know, I have read about it. I've watched videos and all that. But, but never had a chance to personally visit the place yeah and what is what is the attraction there is it the just the the scenery or the history what is the scenery the people the culture the history yeah so it's just very fascinating to me yeah and to return to a, a, a location you've been before Many, many beautiful places uh, in the world. Uh, New Zealand is certainly one place I would like to uh, revisit. Uh, haven't been there for a while, you know. You need to, you need to get a job again with Air New Zealand. I'm sure they'd be delighted <laughs> to help you. Perhaps as, a, uh, as an advisor or something. <laughs> yeah, that would be good. And, and yeah. in that whole thing, I mean, from your, you know, you've got considerable experience. Um, Another another question, I think, from your perspective um, that you may be able to answer looking from the outside in is, um, is the future low cost airlines or is it legacy airlines or is there a role for both? I think it will be a hybrid kind of a model. You know, there will always be people who can afford to travel business class, while some of them would want the cheapest possible fare. So I, I think both will coexist, yeah. That there won't be a a one thing that uh, fits all, yeah. Right, and um, to put you on the spot about um, the vaccine and the recovery, um, we're all much more excited and optimistic about the recovery. Um, but when... When do you think we will be in a position to to actually begin to really see that recovery? Is it is it Q one of next year, twenty twenty one, Q two, Q three? What's what's your reading of when the recovery is really going to start? For me, uh, just a personal guess, I would I would say perhaps uh, Q three to Q four next year, yeah. because the first half year, even if a vaccine ready. You know, it has to be rolled out. People need to be vaccinated. So that will take, take 
take that take time because uh, this is a global pandemic. So even if your country is good uh, and if your neighbors are not good, then uh, it's, it's not going to help very much, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's... So you got to wait. You wait. You got to wait for everyone to be vaccinated, and, and then I think we have to rebuild travel confidence. Uh, let's not underestimate. You know the fact that uh, it, it does uh, take some effort and time for people to to want to return to to travel. They they love to travel. They miss travel, but it is still a process. Yeah, and that confidence is is the key thing, isn't it? How how do we as as airlines, airports, trade associations such as Parta, how do we collectively build that confidence? Have you? Have you been thinking about that, or have any thoughts about how can we, how can we rebuild that whole, you know, confidence to jump on an aeroplane and go somewhere? I think first and foremost, uh, as you rightly said, we are the collective voice of the industry. So all the associations, all the travel and tourism associations, are in fact working very closely together to try to advocate uh, a common protocol especially the health and safety protocol, because if you don't do that, uh, then you'll find that, you know, when you go to every single airport, uh, there is a different set of uh, routine that you have to get through. When you get on board, every airline is different. When you arrive, there's a different set of uh, procedures. So that would be very, very challenging. I think uh, all the associations are coming together to try to make sure that uh, you know, we work together as one. So, for instance, uh, very recently, Pata together with uh, several associations, including IETA and ICAO, right? we we are urging governments. We are urging governments uh, to to adopt a certain common protocol, so that we can have uh, the consistency and harmonization in cross border travel protocols. Mm-hmm. So an open letter was uh, recently sent to Asia-Pacific Ministers uh, of Health, Transport, Tourism, Interior, Foreign Affairs to adopt the ICAO risk assessment and testing framework in lieu of quarantine. So this is just a a small example of uh, how the associations are coming together so that uh, we have a big collective voice appealing the governments uh, to, to adopt the same protocol where possible. We fully understand and respect the fact that every country is different, but uh, we've we got to start somewhere. So at least uh, collectively, we are presenting a common protocol. And I'm sure you have read about travel pass, common pass. All these things will, will come together. So if all these are eventually in place, it will help a lot in uh, building travel confidence. So, so travelers, um, uh, once they see this, uh, they, they know what to expect. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, absolutely. So um, one final question on, on um, confidence. How confident are you about the future of travel and tourism? Are you just confident, very confident, extremely confident? What is, what is, your, what is your sentiment at this moment? recovery is not if but when yeah recovery will start at some point we have been very resilient for the last nine months 
you know, it's not very far away. Uh, the, the vaccine is uh, already here. So I am 100% confident that the industry will start to bounce back. It's not one that needs to be questioned. It will be a very, very important industry for the future. Yeah. Uh, uh, on that note, which um, you know, I, I absolutely agree with, um, thank you very much for your time. Um, been a pleasure to speak to you. Um, good luck for the next 18 months as you sit in that chair. Um, lots of work to do, um, and I'm sure it will be a great success. So, soon while, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, John. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you.